this podcast is brought to you by the Ben Barnes Fan Association. <laughs> Maybe we can get him as a guest. How much would that cost us? <laughs> More than we have. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can start like a, a campaign. Like get Ben Barnes on Beyond Books. Wow. That's a mouthful. <laughs> that's a lot of bees. <laughs> ben Barnes behooves Beyond Books oh with his God. benevolent being. In conclusion, we love Ben Barnes. Moving on. Welcome back to Beyond Books. I'm Sarah and she's Kate. This week, we're talking about books that have been adapted to the screen. So Kate, what is the first thing that goes through your head when you hear a book is being adapted for either a movie or TV series? Is it going to be good? (laughs) (laughs) I'm usually skeptical when I hear new adaptations being made, especially if it's a book that I read and enjoyed. I'm always curious if it's going to be inspired by the book and the director will put their own spin on it or if it will closely align with the book's plot and have smaller changes. So I'm always skeptical. Yeah, I too am skeptical when I hear that a TV or movie adaptation is being made. I'm always hopeful that I will get to see things how I envision them, but I always find that my mind is almost always superior to what film can do. Yes, me too. I think it's part of being a reader where we see all these worlds and then Mm -hmm. very few people can actually live up to how that looks. I think it's also, you got to remember that Our mind has an unlimited budget. True. Yeah. So it's like we have no limitations as far as like effects and casting in our brain. Yes. That is ironically a mind-blowing thought. (laughs) (laughs) That is why the book is always better. Yes. Hot take. Book's better. Like 99.9% of the time. Not all the books we're talking about today, though. That's the case. Most of them. Yes. Not all. Yes, and you you have to keep listening to find out what books. And I always worry if Hollywood is going to like over-sexualize or add unnecessary violence to a book too, like just because it's Hollywood and it's a big production. Yeah, I mean, it's a big thing right now in movies and TV to make things gritty and realistic and stuff. It's like the Dark Knight Rise effect to everything. Right. It's like, that's not necessary. Yeah, it's, it's too much, and, and a lot of times you lose the book mm-hmm. in, in all of that Hollywood glamour. And when that happens, I feel that sometimes big plot or character changes are actually kind of a disservice to the author. I understand cleaning up a story because you can do so much more visually than you can when something is fully written out. But what's the point if it strays so far from the book that it can't be recognized? Like, there should still be some honor to the author for whatever this world, because obviously they cared enough to want to make a movie or show out of it, right? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree, because it's like, I understand when things need to be changed just because certain things will or will not work on film or on the screen or whatever. Sure. But if, if you're straying too far away from the plot and the heart and soul of a story, then it's like, why did you even bother? Why, why are you making an adaptation? Why did you not just make something new? Yeah, it, 
It doesn't make a lot of sense. And there are a lot of authors who actually haven't been happy with how their books have turned out. I remember finding a BuzzFeed article and it was this huge list and it was really famous movies and the authors were just so upset about how their works of art turned out, even if they were part of the process, which that's a big thing is how involved the author is in what's going on. Yeah, the the movies and TV shows in which the author has been involved are usually the stronger adaptation. Yes, like one that we both just watched that Mm -hmm. came out just a few weeks ago and we've already (laughs) watched the whole series. Yes, Uh, the inspiration behind this episode. Yes, and we're talking about Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo, which was originally a trilogy that was made into a Netflix show, I believe eight episodes. Yeah, I think so. Just came out end of April. Now, I have read all of the books in... Mm -hmm what is known as the Grishaverse series. And that includes Three Shadow and Bone, Two Six of Crows, and a book of Russian fairy tales, which is kind of involved in that world. So I've read all of them. What about King of Scars? And Ooh. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> there's more. Oh my God, how did I forget? I've read King of Scars. I have not yet read Rule of Wolves, which is the second book in that. I don't know if it's a duology or a trilogy, but... I haven't read the latest, latest, but at least like the core books that the show is based on. I've read all of those. Yeah, I have read Shadow and Bone, which is the first one in the original Grisha trilogy. And then I've read both books in the Six of Crows duology. And I will probably now, since the show is happening, go back and finish reading the original trilogy. So I I think I have a good enough base for this first season of Shadow and Bone to speak to a large volume of it. Yeah, I'd say so. For the most part, it followed the first book pretty well. Now, there are some extra bits because they do bring in the Six of Crows crew, Mm -hmm. which originally are two different series. Same world, but different parts of that world. And years apart, so it was really interesting to see how they brought those together. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but as much as I love my Six of Crows babies, I almost wish that they hadn't included them in this season so that they could have focused more on the Shadow and Bone series with Darkling and Alina. Yeah, I absolutely agree that the Crows should have come later because I mostly worry about what their storyline is going to look like in the coming seasons. How are they yes. going to continue to work them in, mm-hmm. in a way that makes sense? But I realized that the reason that they probably did this is because the crows are the fan favorites. Like as yes. much as the, the true fans still love Alina and the Darkling and all, everybody loves the crows. And like if someone is going to read part of the Grisha verse, they usually read the duology and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So I think that they did that in order to draw a wider audience. And also they may not have been sure if more seasons were going to come. That is true. Yes. And I, I agree with that. I see that point. I mean, I think they did a really good job of incorporating them because the shadow and bone part was all from the original story. Whereas mm-hmm. the six of crows storyline is not, that was kind of made up 
to go along with the show, but they blended well enough that we got to see different sets of characters interacting. It is hard because I kind of wish that they had spent a little more time explaining the Grisha themselves and how exactly their abilities work. It's not like Harry Potter magic where they wave a wand and it's unlimited. It's much more technical and what they call small science that they can manipulate what's already there. They aren't doing anything that's out of nowhere. They're not conjuring up something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I kind of wish they had done that. But at the same time, their abilities that we do see were done so nicely. Like Mm -hmm. visually, it was so well done. Yeah, it's because they used a lot of practical effects in doing it. Yeah. So that definitely helped. I I do agree that they should have fleshed out the small science. However, I've now watched the series twice, but with three different people that have absolutely no understanding of the Grisha verse at all. And they understood the magic system perfectly. They didn't really have any questions about it. So I think that like, it's like in books, you like things to be explained, but I feel like in in theater and uh, showmanship and all, it's much more of a show don't tell sort of mm-hmm. thing that's usually better for storytelling. So I'm hoping that in coming seasons, they do flesh out the, the small science a little bit more though. Yeah, I feel like could have used just a, a tad more. No spoilers, but especially towards the end, there were some things that didn't quite match up with how the small science is explained in the books. And as a, the reader, I was left questioning what was happening because mm-hmm. this baseline that had been established in the books was now being flipped in the show. Mm-hmm. So in that regard... I was a little lost. I don't know. Bardugu was very, very involved. I mean, she was even in an episode. She was um, a fabricator. And I was like, that's perfect because she fabricated this story. Yeah. So even though I had distinct feelings about Mm -hmm. the little thing, because I am going to be a little more nitpicky because one of my favorite series, you know, but I'm not going to critique it too much because my queen... Lee Bardugo was so heavily involved and she was an executive producer of the show, constantly sharing photos. She was bonding with the cast. She had a cameo in it. So even though some parts of it confused me, I am going to trust her to have made that decision because overall it was a very well done show. There's a long game, I'm sure. I'm sure they're playing a long game and it's all going to make sense. Yes, because it did set up very nicely for much more to come. There's two whole books after yes. this. Plus the Six of Crows and King of Scars. Like, I don't know if they're going to keep on with that too, maybe. Possibly. The main character of King of Scars, Nikolai, we meet him in, I believe, the second Shadow and Bone book. There's so much mm-hmm. that they could do. I would like to talk briefly about... A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones. So I don't think that this is an unpopular opinion. May not be the most popular, but I do think the TV adaptation of A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. Martin into the Game of Thrones TV show was a dumpster fire. She literally has that written in her notes. Just It is literally in my notes. Dumpster fire in capital letters. (laughs) Italicized. The first... Four seasons, I thought, were good. They were strong. They stayed pretty true to the book. But then they just went off the rails with major changes. And then they had to 
overcorrect in order to get to some sort of conclusion. And it was just the ending was definitely rushed. I, th- I think everybody can agree with that. And I mean, I don't blame them entirely because Martin is a little too prolific in his writing. And it's like in order to trim down like these massive books into like 10 episodes is asking a lot. And then, of course, there's the fact that he still hasn't finished the series. And the last book, which isn't even going to be the last book in the series, came out 10 years ago. So it's like they had to do something. And unfortunately, I don't think it was how it should have been done. I don't think it's how George R. R. Martin's going to finish the series. Mm-hmm. And I'm not salty because they never introduced my favorite character. So that has absolutely nothing to do with the way that I feel about the series. Just nothing personal. Nothing personal. <laughs> I was never one of the people who was into Game of Thrones. And I almost, almost made it through never watching a single episode, being one of those people. But then I was hanging out with somebody. He wanted to watch the first episode of the last season. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Stupid me. I knew a little bit. Just, you know, how can you not all over pop culture, but not nearly enough to jump in first episode last season. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I do not recommend. Which, speaking of dumpster fires. Uh Uh-oh. I I think Sarah knows what I'm about to talk about. I think I do. (sighs) The HBO adaptation of Fahrenheit 451 which, as y'all know from our previous episodes, is one of my all-time favorite books by Ray Bradbury. And this is the one with Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon, who I like them both. They're great, but I want to know, sorry, Mom, what the fuck they did to my beloved book. I was not happy whatsoever. I was skeptical, right? And I was like, maybe this will be good. It's for the modern age, which is what was the original vision it was written in 1950-something, and it's supposed to be futuristic and all this technology. And I was like, what a great time to have that. We've got all this technology and whatnot. They ruined it. So upset. I think something we can take away from this is HBO should not be trusted to adapt books. Yes, this is true. Now, for those of you who may know, I don't know how popular this one was, there is also a movie adaptation from 1966 of Fahrenheit. And I've watched part of it. For the most part, it follows the book. It's a little cringy just because time period. The main thing I didn't like about either one is that there is a young girl, she's 16, who we meet her at the very beginning of the book, and she has a few conversations with the main character. In both adaptations, they make her a 20-something woman. And in the HBO one, they make her a love interest for the, mm-hmm. the main character, which to me made absolutely no sense because as I saw it, the whole point of having her in there was she was this last bit of innocence in that world. And it kind of exposed the main character to that and made him question his role as a, a fireman. Because she eventually disappears and like there's, it's almost foreshadowing in a way. So to make her older and then make her love interest because he had a wife. So they completely did away with that in the HBO version. And that was a key thing too, because his wife was 100% part of this fully digital world that Mm -hmm. they lived in, but he was questioning it. You can see the tension. And then don't get me started on the ending. Glaze over that. 
Yes, I will get off my soapbox now. There was so much. So they made the world seem grittier, which cool, great. But there were some parts. I was like, I think you've lost the essence of this book. You're getting lost mm-hmm. in all of this technology and love story when that's not the point at all. Right. Right. It's like, I feel like if you're going to adapt any book, but especially something like Ray Bradbury, because that is something that he does so well is he's always got a message. And if you're getting so hung up on these extra things, you're losing sight of the message. Exactly. So speaking of books that have like that sort of gritty dystopian has a message for the future sort of thing. There's The Handmaid's Tale. Have you ever read that? I have not read the original, but I did read the graphic novel that came out in the last year or two. That I thought was amazing. Yeah, I'd really like to go back and reread The Handmaid's Tale, but I did love that book. It's depressing as I don't know what. And for that reason, I only watched the first season of Hulu, right? The Hulu adaptation. Yep. Yeah, that, that was all the more I could take because the book is depressing. The show is depressing. And I just, I couldn't keep on going. But I mm. am curious to know how and what they changed moving forward because they pretty much used up all the original source material in the first season. Right. Obvious changes were made, but for the most part, it followed the arc of the book. So I don't know, because it's, God, what in it's like third or fourth season at this point. Yeah, it's been out for a while. Yeah, and I mean, of course, Atwood did bring out a follow-up novel in 2019 the testaments which i haven't read right but this is an example of a series and again i don't know what has happened since i stopped watching it but Mm -hmm. at least in that first season they did stay fairly true to the source material and the the feelings and the themes were still there you know this very depressing scary world that sometimes feels all too real right yeah i couldn't I don't honestly, I don't think I watched past the first episode because it was just so much to take in. It's very overwhelming. Yeah, you really need to prepare yourself for it because it's it's scary to think Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. From what you're saying, it sounds like they had a good base in the first season with the book. Mm -hmm. So maybe they had a really good jumping off point to kind of explore the story and makes me wonder how much Margaret Atwood was involved and giving her blessing for changing the story. It very well might be. I I should have looked it up beforehand, but especially considering she did bring out the follow-up novel while the show has been going on. I do wonder if like she had some input with them continuing the story and she you know continues it in a similar way in the testaments Mm -hmm. Uh, there was another show that i know the author was involved in and that was uh this is also on hulu little fires everywhere i'm sorry if i mispronounced but i'm pretty sure it's celeste ing i'm gonna go with that Uh, i listened to that book i believe sometime last year and i was originally (laughs) excited for the adaptation because it had two of my favorite actresses, Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington, who are just phenomenal women. So I was like, yes, this is going to be great. And I don't think I watched past the second episode because I was disappointed by it after having 
had my sense of the characters and the story, I felt they didn't portray the characters in the situation the way that I imagined. And because you, it's a contemporary novel. Uh, I believe it was set sometime in the 90s. And after having spent so much time getting to know the characters, because it's a slightly bigger book, and starting to watch it, there were things that were happening. And I started wondering, that, that doesn't seem like something that character would do. So I was, I was disappointed by that. And it made me sad because I was excited for it. That was one I was actually looking forward to. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. I know. One that I was disappointed by that I actually didn't write notes about. Um, <gasps> right. This is one of my like guilty pleasures as a reader. I do enjoy the Dan Brown novels. They're problematic, but I, I do enjoy them. And I do really like the Da Vinci Code and uh, Angels and Demons adaptations. The changes, but the overall theme and feeling are still preserved. For the most part, no discernible detriment to the plot or anything. However, the third one that they did, Inferno, which is the fourth book or the third movie that they did, it's like they read the first half of the book and then they were like, okay, cool. I've got the idea. I, I know where we're going. And then just didn't read the second half huh. because it is so vastly different. I'm so disappointed by it. Like they took, <laughs> trying to figure out how to say this in a, like not getting too complicated for someone who hasn't read or seen these movies, but the character that did the bad thing did it for in the books did it for an honorable reason okay and then has redemption and kind of helps to fix what they've done okay in the movie they did not give her any redemption they killed her rude the whole thing with inferno is (laughs) a virus being unleashed upon the world and uh, they kind of changed what that virus would do. Okay. In the movie, the virus was killing people. In the book, it was like sterilization. The virus would sterilize like 50% of the population. Um, yeah, that's a bit different. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a little. I mean, the, the whole idea was like population control because we are in the 11th hour as far as overpopulation on this earth. Sure. But there's a big difference between reducing future population and reducing current population. Right. Right. It's, it's yeah. a bit different. Yeah, that was one I was disappointed by. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. If a character has redemption in the book, they should have redemption in the TV show or movie. It should at least mirror the book in some ways. The, those mm-hmm. major plot points and character arcs should be relatively the same. Which reminds me of The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks. And this, can't believe this, is one of the only times that I have felt that the movie was better than the book. Ooh. I know. And you know how much it takes for me to say something like that. So in this one, I feel like most people are familiar with The Notebook. It's this love story, super sweet. Guys hate it, girls love it, that whole deal. And it's told through a series of flashbacks of this couple and their the beginnings of their their romance and everything. And then, you know, we see them as an old couple and everything. So we get the full picture of their life, mostly in flashbacks. The book is similar, but the time frame is different. 
So we still get flashbacks, but not quite in the same way. They're very much in the present of a particular time when they were younger. Like to them, that is the where they're flashing back from, not present day, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I feel like the movie expanded the book even more and made it more beautiful that it was almost entirely flashbacks and it just flowed so much better because in the book you jump into this middle scene and you're like what (laughs) because you missed everything beforehand whereas in the movie you don't get to that till later because they're building up so they actually start from the beginning instead of the middle and it's just such a cute movie I mean, come on. It's adorable. I've honestly never seen it. <gasps> I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah, I don't like romance. Yeah. Yeah, it's know. it's a super cute movie, though. It yeah. Really is. I mean, Noah and Allie forever. So I don't have any on my list where I think that the movie is better than the book. However, I do have on my list where I think the end of the movie is better than the end of the book. Oh, that's important, too. Yeah, so that would be The Martian by Andy Weir. Okay. So overall, the movie is pretty much one-to-one with the book. It is very, very true. The changes that they made are very minor. The ending of the, the movie is superior. So the book has two different endings. So the published one ends with the crew having saved Mark Watney and now having to travel back to Earth, which is going to take... I don't know, over a year or something. Mm -hmm. And they have a dwindling supply of food. They've blown out an airlock. There's some other warning light that's going off that they never really address. And that's just where it ends. And it's like, well, do they make it back to Earth? Does everyone survive? What happens? In the original ending, because I think Andy Weir originally put this up on like Wattpad or something. Mm -hmm. The, The original ending that he wrote was Mark Watney like cursing out some child back on Earth. I don't understand that ending. Yeah, Mark Watney did curse a lot <laughs> throughout uh, throughout the book. There's F-bombs everywhere. But I don't know. It just didn't seem like the proper ending for the book. Whereas mm-hmm. the way that the movie ends is it time skips at least a year, probably more. And mm-hmm. it kind of shows you what all the characters are doing now. You've got like a couple of them going back to space on another mission. You've got two other ones that are now married and you know have a kid. You've got Mark Watney who's like teaching young astronaut hopefuls like some sort of like seminar or something so I feel like that is so much better of an ending because it kind of wraps everything up and you get a happy ending I like happy endings same you know what does not have a happy ending what does not have a happy ending the boy in the striped pajamas oh now I'll get real dark for a minute yeah you are for those who aren't aware boy in the striped pajamas is about the Holocaust and a child or well two children in the Holocaust one of which is the son of an officer on the Nazi side who befriends a young boy on the other side of a fence who is wearing what he calls striped pajamas so we get a picture of the Holocaust and concentration camps from a kid's point of view And I have read the book and I've watched the movie. This movie, oh my God, this is the only movie ever in my life that had me sobbing. So between the book and the movie, 
the endings are a little bit a little bit different. It's basically the same. And I I, I don't want to ruin it because it's very emotional. What I will say is that the book, it took longer for them to figure out what happened, which somehow made it worse because they didn't know. And if you if you read that or watch it, you will understand. But I think the movie follows the book very, very closely. And I believe I watched the movie first and then read the book later because I was curious. Almost identical. And they both portray the significance of the Holocaust through A Child Dies so, so well. Because this little boy has no idea what any of these things mean. Why his sister suddenly has Nazi flags up in her room ended up becoming part of the there was like the youth for hitler yeah hitler's youth yes thank you the little boy he kept saying hitler wrong i i forgot what he said but they it's one of those things where the reader understands but the boy doesn't because he's so young that's why he says oh there's a boy in striped pajamas because he doesn't know what a concentration camp is and so it's almost like a horror movie where he finds the fence and the boy and he sees all these people and he's like, oh, that looks interesting. Where are you? And you're like, no, don't come back. Mm-hmm. Like, don't go in there. I thought they were both phenomenal, especially the movie. It is a cinematic masterpiece. I don't think I could ever watch it again because it was so heartbreaking, but it was excellent on both sides. That makes me think of The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. Yes. yes. Oh my god. Both the book and the movie made me ball my eyes out. Yeah, I would definitely put those two on par because it's the same time frame mm-hmm. and everything and you have children who are the main characters and just terribly sad endings. Yes, oh my god. Yeah, I I don't think there's very many happy movies that involve the Holocaust, so nope, I I think those are antithesis of each other. Yep. 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 Yeah. So, well, I think we should move on to happier. Yeah. How about I move on to murder on the Orient Express? That's happier. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's not based off of the Lindbergh child abduction or anything. It's no, it's fine. It's It's fine. fine. I love that era of mystery novels. Like I love Agatha Christie. I love Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And I love Dupin Poe's version because Poe wrote Mm -hmm. Dupin which was the basis for Sherlock Holmes which was then the basis for Poirot so they kind of like all build off of each other all right and I I love I love 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 Agatha Christie I love specifically Poirot not a big fan of uh, Miss Marple but Poirot and the most recent adaptation the Kenneth Branagh one from a few years ago is that level that I will refer to as immaculate yes I love that movie so much and like it is Kenneth Branagh is the literal best version of Poirot that I have ever seen. And I will explain this because in the novels and it's much more obvious in the novels, Poirot has OCD and he has OCD like how I have OCD where it affects your everyday life, but it's not debilitating. Mm -hmm. And Poirot uses his OCD to his advantage. I've never seen Poirot's OCD ever portrayed on the screen until Kenneth Branagh did it. And for me, 
because I see myself in that aspect of Poirot. It was so important to me. There's a scene at the beginning of the movie where he's measuring the eggs that he's having for breakfast and he's sending them back until he gets, I think it was two that were the same size. And it's like, I understand that. Like that is my level of OCD and I've never seen it portrayed like that for Poirot. And for that reason alone, I just, I love, I mean, it's fantastic otherwise, but I love that movie if just for that alone. But Kenneth Branagh is also the only one to get Poirot's mustache right. Nice. And I mean, the rest of the cast is phenomenal, like absolutely star-studded. Yes. I, I've not read the book, but I saw the movie and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. He's supposed to be doing, I think it's Murder on the Nile is supposed to be the next one he does, I think. Okay. I mean, I'm here for anything Kenneth Branagh ever does. Right I'm a though. major Kenneth Branagh fan. Yes. One of the adaptations that I really liked was Bird Box, which is by Josh Mallerman. That was hugely popular, what, like two two years ago? Very recently. So. Yeah, um, about two. About two years ago, it was everywhere. People covering their eyes with something because you couldn't And you look. know, hmm. you know, I still haven't seen it. What? Girl. Yeah, because I... I wanted to watch it with my boyfriend and then he went and he watched it on his own and I just <gasps> haven't watched it. So rude. Right? Oh my goodness. Well, you can come over and watch it with me because I would totally watch right. it again. So yeah, that was super huge for a while. All the memes from that. And I love me some Sandra Bullock because she's amazing, right? That movie was really, really good. I thought it was very well done. Terrifying to even think about so while the movie was excellent of course the book was better in a lot of ways because for me it was more terrifying to read it i believe i ended up listening to it shout out to hoopla if you don't have it from your local library go get it please so listening to a book always adds that extra experience which i think we've talked about in other episodes the book goes into so much more detail about what they're going through and because the nature of the film is that they can't see anything reading about it added even more to that element because on the screen you can see that they can't see but to not be able to see it and you have to come up with it yourself is kind of like what they're doing where you have to imagine it and get a feel for it and they also go Mm -hmm. into more depth and more speculation about whatever these creatures are that are hunting them all down. And there were some scenes that's actually cut out of the book that didn't make it into the movie that just made the whole scenario even worse. Mm-hmm. So it was terrifying. I recommend reading it and watching it because it's one of those package things where I think you get so much if you do both. That makes me think of War of the Worlds by H.G. Wow. Wells. I don't think I've seen a good movie adaptation of that ever. And there have been several Mm-hmm. But that one is definitely, it is so much better read because it is one of those sort of situations where the mind can make things so much scarier than what film can. Yes. And I believe it was Crystal because she had read it and she was the one who was telling me about it. And I was like, well, I have to read this now. And she was right. It is terrifying. I kind of want to read it again just because you get into it. It's yeah. very gripping. That kind of makes me think of, One that I haven't finished reading is 
uh, the short story by Daphne du Maurier, The Birds, which mm. is the basis for the Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds. Right. And like I said, I, I've only just started reading it, but it is more terrifying than the movie. I would imagine. Fun fact about Birds, it was filmed at the beach that I would go to as a kid. So if you go to anywhere in Bodega Bay, about in that area, a lot of times at the gift shops, you'll see stuff about the birds. That's awesome. That is my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock is just amazing. I love, I yeah, I love Hitchcock. I also need to read Rebecca, which is another Daphne du Maurier book. Yes. And that has now had two adaptations. There's the yes. original one from the four, 50s. Yeah, maybe. And then the one from last year, which I actually really liked the new one, Unpopular Opinion. Okay. I mean, you like what you like. Speaking of what I like, Mm. Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. Yes. That is in my immaculate list. Yes. So the series has now eclipsed where I read in the books because there are a lot of books in that series. Yes, there are. And she has said that she's going to keep on writing that series until the day she dies. And I'm like, oh, hon, no, I can't. (laughs) Time to stop. (laughs) Time to stop. I've got other things to read. But the show just gives me the warm fuzzies, which, I mean, it's also a funny thing to say that a show about, you know, like the 45 gives me warm fuzzies. But it does. I just, I absolutely love it. I look forward to when it comes on. And I've got to say that I feel like they have done such a phenomenal job. And... I feel like that it has perfectly captured the essence of the book. I mean, mm. there's obvious changes. Like it, sure. it happens. It just is what it is. But I feel like the overall plot and feeling hasn't really changed. But one thing I do want to bring up is there was an episode in season four that a lot of fans were really upset about. So in in the book, he fought a bear, like a real living bear. In the show, they have him fight a man in a bear costume. And I'm not talking like, production wise it was a man in a bear's costume like no in in the story it was a native american in a bear costume and it was a decision that the showrunners had to make due to budget concerns and it was like look either we put the money towards this big battle that happens at the end of the season or you get a cg bear the battle won so they had to do what they could to make it still work out and you know, they adjusted the storyline so that it was a man who had gone mad and was dressed up as a bear costume. And I feel like it didn't really affect the story arc that much. They still made it work. And it even introduced uh, some interesting things about mental health amongst Native Americans at the time. Hmm. I like when books do that, books or shows, where there are things that we see as commonplace in modern contemporary movies and whatnot. But when they draw attention to that kind of stuff at a time when it wasn't really known, there hadn't been probably any science about it. It was not commonplace. I like when they they take some more modern things and mix them in because just because they hadn't been quote discovered doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that they weren't very much real. Right. One of the series that I really loved was Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I read all the books, thought they were fantastic, and I thought the first movie, to quote Sarah, was immaculate. It was perfectly spot on to the book that it follows, which 
about the order of the books. There's seven total, and you can either read them in published order or in chronological order because they jump around a little bit. The book that they did, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that's actually, I believe, the second book. Yeah, uh, it is. So they went in a different order, but I thought it was so well done and really just an amazing piece of cinema on its own because the costumes, the CGI for that time period, because you had this giant lion around all these kids. Obviously, it can't be real. So Aslan looked great and the story was so well done and that you had decent kid actors and i'm kind of sad that they didn't do more movies i know it's hard when you have younger kids but it was a few years a little too long between the that one and the second one prince caspian and then they did voice of the dawn treader so they had three which almost half the books but it wasn't consistent like harry potter where Mm -hmm. those were Every year, they just spit them right out. So I kind of wish they could have done more with that. But the first one, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, so good. Matched mm-hmm. the book perfectly. Really grabbed that essence of the book, which very heavily religious. It's still so good. Well, I've only seen the first Chronicles of Narnia movie. I never saw the other ones. Mm-hmm. And I've only read The Magician's Nephew, the real first, like first story-wise that's the only one I've read because I had a very religious childhood and I can't take religious reading anymore it's kind of spoiled me for that sort of stuff nowadays but I really love the series that was written by C.S. Lewis's buddy J.R.R. Tolkien oh there we go so I'm all up in anything Tolkien absolutely anything Tolkien so of course I've got to talk about Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit But I really don't have much to say because, I mean, they're good, but they're nothing spectacular or groundbreaking. And I think it's because it does stay pretty true to the source material. The overall theme and story arc are intact. I just wish someone else had directed them because I don't like Peter Jackson. And that Mm -hmm. might be an unpopular opinion, but there I stand. Interesting. That's something I've thought about with adaptations when they don't change anything does that add or take away it's so bland there are some adaptations that could use a remake oh yeah absolutely maybe the first one was not that great i can absolutely speak to that with neverwhere by neil gaiman Mm -hmm. i have quite a few neil gaiman ones but neverwhere is really interesting because the show and the book came out as companions Mm -hmm. in 1996 and Neil Gaiman wrote both of them. So they're pretty much one-to-one. I am not a huge fan of the show, but it's one of those instances where my imagination is far superior to what they could do in 1996 for a fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the novel is better fleshed out. There is an amazing radio production from a few years ago, and it stars Natalie Dormer, James McAvoy, Benedict Cumberbatch, Anthony Heads, or Christopher Lee. Like, it is absolutely phenomenal. And... I would love for them to have another crack at making that into a TV show. It's one of my favorite Neil Gaiman books anyway. You and your radio productions. Yeah. There's another radio production on here too. (laughs) (laughs) It's another Neil Gaiman one. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Why am I not surprised? I know we've talked about this before. This goes back to casting. Yeah. 
that absolutely makes such a big difference. Yeah. You know, you're naming all these huge people in the radio production. What would it mm-hmm. look like if there was a show or a movie with oh these God, people? It would be amazing. Well, you can't have Sir Christopher Lee anymore. Mm. Rest in peace. But yeah, casting is everything. Like that's literally it's really the number really one. important. Especially yeah. if you're going to be doing a character that people already know and have attached some sort of vision to, it needs to fit how they're described in the book. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it drives me crazy if they're doing some big budget film or show and they pick somebody who's a big star rather than who actually fits the part. Yes. And they did it right with Shadow and Bone because the only person that we'd ever really heard of was Ben Barnes. And Lee Bardugo herself said that she wanted, like when she was originally writing the series, she envisioned the Darkling as Ben Barnes. Right. And then you've got all these new people who, I mean, maybe they've been in other things, but for the most part, they're relatively unknown. And I feel like it's so much better that way when you can have a fresher person Mm -hmm. in a role. Because some people get very stuck. I feel that way about Jennifer Aniston. So if they put her in something, although I will say, she was in the adaptation of Dumplin', which is a YA oh, yeah. book. Yeah. The book was great. Mm-hmm. The movie was great. Honestly, both of them loved it. She was in that. She played the mom. And I actually thought she did a really good job. I feel like that's the first time that I have seen her in something that I didn't see Rachel Green. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like they play this person for so long and then that's all you see because mm-hmm. they can't break away from it quite enough. Speaking of actors that fall into these roles really well, hmm. uh, what about Queen's Gambit? Ooh. I think she was, mm, what's her name? Anya Taylor-Joy. Taylor Anya. Anya Taylor-Joy. Thank you. She was fantastic. Yes. So good. I love her anyway. I've yeah. seen her in some other things. There was a like an indie film that she did. She is so great mm-hmm. anyhow. And I think she did such a great job as Beth. Like, yeah. she was Beth. And that's despite the fact that Beth in the book is described as being almost completely different than how Anya Taylor-Joy physically looked in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, like, she didn't have red hair. Mm-mm. It was, like, brown or something. Like, it- Yeah, she was supposed to be just very plain and ordinary mm-hmm. and just kind of there. Anya Taylor-Joy, obviously. She could never be ordinary. She did a great job, especially because she played that character from like 15 to 25 i mean she was great so yeah and we both watched the show first Mm -hmm. and then read the book yes uh because for me i bought it because i had some questions after watching the show it was great anya taylor joy was great it moved very quickly from her being eight years old to like her mid-20s because it was a limited series so they crammed a lot into those episodes and that was why i bought it because i had so many questions and i knew that the book usually has more depth and it did there were some things that either weren't addressed in the show or they elaborated on so much more there were a number of times where I couldn't quite understand what was going on in the show just because you miss all of Beth's like internal monologue and like what she's thinking and everything mm-hmm. because she's a little more quiet, which yeah. that is portrayed very well in the show. 
But if you don't know what's going on in someone's head, you can't quite figure out what's happening. But I feel like it was a trade-off with the book and the show. The show had more about the mom. You got more of a sense of almost why she was the way she was Mm -hmm. because of her past with her mom. Whereas the book had more depth about Beth and her thoughts. I would personally, like, if you haven't read or watched it and you want to do both, I would definitely suggest watch the show first yes I agree because I mean I I personally think the show is stronger and I think that's because for me at least chess is very visual and I know there's lots of people out there that that can play chess in their heads I'm not one of them I have to see it Mm -hmm. and I think that is something that was so good about the show was seeing the chess whereas in the book I mean and it's a very slim novel it's not even 300 pages yeah it's not very big No, it's not very big at all. But multiple times you spend several pages on nothing but chess notations. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar with that, it's just a lot of gobbledygook of, you know, Q to B4 or something like that. And I remember reading this book and like literally nodding off to sleep because I'm trying to get through these pages of chess notations. Yep. I definitely agree with that. Uh, Watching the show made reading the book a lot easier because... For the most part, it's almost exact. Yeah. Aside from the few changes that we've mentioned, mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same. Yeah. I mean, there's literal conversations that happened in the book that happened in the show, like word for word. Right. And as someone who doesn't play chess, and I have no mind for that. It made it easier to get through those scenes that you were talking about in the book mm-hmm. because I did appreciate how those game scenes were written. I couldn't understand nothing about the moves themselves, but the writing style and the way that he talked about those moves told me whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. And I still felt the suspense. Mm -hmm. But if I had read the book first, I would have been so lost versus because they were so closely aligned, I could see it all in my head. And I agree with you about seeing the chess like on the board and when she's visualizing it on Mm -hmm. the ceiling which i thought that was really cool i thought that's one of those things that an adaptation can do for you Mm -hmm. that the book can't there is one movie though that i think kind of failed in that department of you could have done something visually but you didn't oh i know where you're going Mm. that is another one of my favorites the giver by lois lowry which you all know i love it It's great. It's simple, but so amazing. The premise is that they live in this very bland, very gray, simple world. Dystopian. Yeah, it's dystopian. Yeah, Yeah, because, I mean, nobody actually has their own babies. They're they're all, like, given to them. Right. And, like, nobody gets to choose their own profession. Like, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's dystopian. Yeah, everything is regimented in some way very much so and so it's this very bland very gray life that they live and then we meet jonas who is a little bit different he's 12 and that is the year that they get placed into the beginning of their profession their training and they go through the ceremony and everything and he is chosen as the new giver which there's only one of those like i don't know once every 50 years maybe it's a very special role and one of the things is that he's given the ability to see color. Mm -hmm. And we get glimpses of that in the beginning before he really understands it. 
where he sees this bit of sparkle, a little something, when his friend tosses an apple in the air and when his friend Fiona turns her head. And he later finds out that what he's seeing is the color red. And I feel like they just didn't do enough with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad when they made this movie that they did do the black and white and change it into color because when they first announced that they were going to make the movie, they said that they weren't going to do that. (gasps) They weren't going to do the black and white. What the heck? Which, I mean, it's like the whole point. Literally the entire point that he's learning all of these things. He sees colors and he's getting memories and feelings. and Mm -hmm. And he's realizing how wrong his society is. Yeah. And... It's so this- then he steals a baby and runs away. Yep. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. Yeah. So this is one of those cases where I was upset that they made him older mm-hmm. because the whole entire point mm-hmm. was that he was young and going and through puberty. Going through puberty. That's so they address that, you know, because that's why he's like, I remember there was this whole thing with why it was red for him. And it was because he was attracted to his friend Fiona who mm-hmm. had red hair. And they were supposed to start taking pills, which they're not told, but essentially it's like suppressing whatever thoughts they're having as they enter puberty. And the giver tells him, he's like, stop taking those because they're going to mess you up. You're not going to be able to get these full experiences like you need them. And yeah, he starts to see everything that's wrong with his society. And I feel like even the movie, I haven't seen it in a long time. I feel like even the ending was different than the book and i I hate when they do that i understand that they're trying to upgrade a little bit but there are some core concepts sometimes you're missing it it has to be a kid because it's almost like a loss of innocence it's a metaphor for growing up and realizing what the real world is like and you start him and he's already like 15 yeah no well speaking of one of your favorites one of my favorite books Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. was adapted a couple of years ago by Amazon Prime to a TV series, which I will say was immaculate. Yeah. Like, one of the literal best adaptations I have ever seen. That's awesome. But it is so good. I mean, there, there are changes. Yes. Do they affect the story? Only by enhancing it. Because they added a lot of scenes that were actually written by Pratchett and Gaiman that was supposed to turn into a follow-up novella that just never happened. So it was so good. The casting is on point. It was great. It was fantastic. There was also a radio production a few years before that. That was also amazing and also had an amazing cast. But especially because both Pratchett and Gaiman got to have small speaking roles. This was like right before... Terry Pratchett died. So the radio production has a very special place in my heart. That's nice. You're also a really big fan of Shakespeare. Are there any adaptations that you liked or hated? I mean, there's so much Shakespeare. People have been adapting him for so long. Mm -hmm. So there there are good adaptations. There are bad adaptations. Like one of the ones that is adapted a lot is Hamlet. Right. And I hate the Mel Gibson one. I think it's Ugh. horrible. I love the Kenneth Branagh one because Kenneth Branagh can do no wrong in my book. Right. So that's probably my favorite Hamlet adaptation. But I do also really like the Royal Shakespeare Company's one with David Tennant playing Hamlet. That one's also really good. Nice. This kind of goes into the fact that classics 
get adapted so often. Oh my goodness. Like how many Austin adaptations are there? How many Anna Green Gables? How many Secret Gardens? Yes, there's so many Jane Austen so many. ones. Like there's the literal adaptations, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, all of that. And then there's the ones that are loosely based on. They are inspired by, and it's a modern take. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. There's that, yes. I love that movie. Uh, Clueless is based yeah. on Emma. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who knows what else has been adapted that you don't I mean, realize. That makes me think of um, 10 Things I Hate About You is a Shakespeare one. That's right. Um, Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. So there's that too. The ones that they take great liberty with the mm-hmm. story and it's literally just inspired by. And those ones are usually pretty interesting. Another movie that I really like that is inspired by something literary is The Raven. Mm. It's very much a B horror movie, but I love it so much. And it's based around the works of Edgar A. Poe. The basic premise is that someone is going around Baltimore murdering people in the style of murders from Poe's stories. And initially, Poe is a suspect. But then he gets roped into helping the police solve the crimes. And this like leads up into the days like right before Poe's death. And it's kind of like implying that he dies because of the plot of this movie. Yeah, so there's there's a lot that gets remade and adapted and inspired by and all this stuff. And it's just the source of inspiration for completely different movies and shows. But you can yeah. tell that it's kind of got that same vibe. One that I've saved on my watch list on Netflix that I need to watch is the adaptation of We've Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Yeah. Because that's one of my favorite books. And I just, I haven't watched the movie yet, but it's got Sebastian Stan in it. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Can't go wrong there. I've been wanting to read that. Well, you know, I've got it whenever you want to borrow it. I know, and it's on Hoopla. So we've talked a lot about our feelings about books that have been adapted what are some books that you would like to see adapted guaranteeing that they're done well Mm, yes that that caveat give me the right stipulations for this (laughs) i would say for a tv series and i think you might agree with this daisy jones and the six oh yeah i think that would be much better as a show than a movie like where are they now music sort of show yes because that's more or less how it is it's a kind of told as like an oral history in a way and it's all these interviews with the members of this band i think that would be phenomenal you could get so in depth with that and then for a movie this is a newer book that came out like sometime in the last couple of years nothing to see here by kevin wilson which is about these two 11 or 12 year old twins who burst into flames when they get angry It was a very interesting book. I would say it's more magical realism than anything because I know that they burst into flames, but there's nothing magical about it. Like it's very much normal. They just, they get really hot and then there's fire. But I would love to see how that is done because that's kind of a tricky thing. So that would be, those would be my picks. What about you? For a TV adaptation, I would love to see the Temeraire series by Naomi Novik. Oh, yes. It would be an expensive show because dragons, like lots and lots of really big dragons that entire crews of people ride on. 
so not hbo we're not talking to hbo stars i'm only talking to stars here i'm gonna need you to do this (laughs) hbo has left the chat they have been removed from the call that would be awesome you've talked so much about that series it would be so good. I love that series so much. And I think it would translate really well to being on the screen. Yes. I think I think a lot of people would like it because it's got like that like costume drama sort of mm. bit to it because it is Napoleonic. And obviously it's got the fantasy element with dragons. Can't go wrong with dragons. Can't go wrong with dragons. And then as far as a movie adaptation, I think I would really like The Relic Master by Christopher Buckley. Hmm. And this is like, this is a satirical novel that takes place in like, I think like the 12th century with this guy who is going around buying and selling relics. And he just gets into some hijinks and it's really funny and very like Monty Python-esque. So I think it would lend itself really well to being turned into a comedy. Those sound like excellent options. Maybe we should get into the entertainment industry and start making these ourselves. There we go. <laughs> Be very demanding. So as we start to wrap up our episode, Sarah, what are you currently reading? I am currently reading Ariadne by Jennifer Saint. And this was my book of the month. It comes in the long line of books being inspired by Greek mythology. Very much riding on the coattails of like Circe by Madeline Miller. But I, I love me some Greek mythology. I'm all about the Greek mythology. But I really love this book because it's fleshing out Ariadne's life. So she's a minor character in Greek mythology. She's the princess of Crete who helps Theseus to escape the labyrinth after slaying her brother, the Minotaur. And then she's like almost immediately abandoned by him on an island. And then eventually she marries Dionysus. But there's not much really about her other than like those key things. So this is kind of exploring her life and like possibilities with that. And I think it's really cool. And this is the first time that I haven't seen her mother, Pasiphae, be villainized in a story. Everybody usually treats it, the Minotaur as being all Pasiphae's fault and not that she was punished by a angry god for something that Minos did. That sounds very interesting. It is. I'm only about halfway through, so I'm going to be excited to see where it goes. Yes. So Kate, what are you reading? I am reading a book called Saving the Dragon by Sarah R. Cleveland. It is a self-published, it's an indie book by one of my mom's friends. It has dragons obviously. I haven't gotten to the dragon yet because I'm only about 30 pages in, but I trust that there are dragons. And it's fantasy, magic. I believe it's YA. I could be wrong. The main character is young. Her name is Penelope. She's a princess and her father, the king, has absolutely forbidden her to practice magic, which being like a 16-year-old girl, she does anyway. And on a visit to her uncle, who is a sorcerer, Things happen, and I haven't gotten to those things yet, but I'm very excited to see because I do like it so far. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like this has been a stellar episode. I agree. There's so many adaptations to so discuss. Many. Yes, Just scratch the surface. <laughs> I know. I'm sure they will come up in future <laughs> episodes. Maybe we'll even do like a part two. Yeah, and, we might have to do a part two. And dig a little deeper. All right. Well, we will see you guys again in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review. It means a lot to us. Yes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. What's the handle? 
On Twitter, we are Beyond Books Pod because you know character limit and all that jazz. And on Instagram, we are the Beyond Books Podcast. So follow us, like us, all of that. Reach out to us if you have questions, comments. Tell us what you want to talk about. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.